Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Whatever you do, I don't want you to try to be a hero here. After today's shellacking, where the Dow tumbled 221 points, S&P plunged 0.94%, and the NASDAQ nosedive 1.18%. You might be tempted to just start buying stocks into weakness. Buy, 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 buy! After all, I mean, haven't we been waiting for exactly this kind of pullback? Sure, yes. But given the market's massive run-up in a pretty short period of time, mind you, I think it's a little too soon to put new money to work. We were due for a sell-off. And I doubt it will be finished after just one day. I don't want you to get too bearish. And I like the way the market came back from its lows. But we actually did some selling at the opening today for my charitable trust, telling members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club that the averages are still way, way above the levels where we had wanted to do some buying originally. So there's no reason to break discipline here. You want to keep your powder dry so you can buy more at lower levels. The worst that happens, okay, you miss it. You miss a little. I mean, that's usually a good bet on the first day of a sell-off, not to plunge in after a prolonged move higher. And make no mistake about it, this is a perfectly reasonable decline. Perfectly reasonable. Nothing real big happening here. Garden variety. But it's based on some facts. Why do I say that? First, you have to understand that this whole rally has been propelled by hope. Hope that Fed Chief Jay Powell would adopt a more reasonable position on interest rates and hope that President Trump would make a trade deal with China. Now, one of those wishes came true. The Fed stopped tightening, at least for the moment, and became more grounded in reality. That fueled some fabulous gains. But if this move was going to continue higher, we needed the other wish to come true, too. A trade deal before the tariffs on Chinese imports automatically go higher on March 1st. Unfortunately, today, the White House made it clear that the president's unlikely to meet with his Chinese counterpart before that deadline, effectively putting the kibosh on the deal, sending the market reeling. Now, I've told you repeatedly that the Trump administration is profoundly ambivalent about striking any kind of deal with China. You got the free traders, like Larry Kudlow, Trump's chief economic advisor, and Steve Mnuchin, his Treasury Secretary. They want some kind of deal. But the most powerful voices here are Peter Navarro, the president's director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy, and Robert Lighthouser. He is the U.S. trade representative. And they got a tough review. Where do these guys really stand? Okay, look, I wouldn't say Peter Navarro is totally unwilling to compromise with the Chinese. That would be wrong. Definitely wrong. But you should consider the second part of his title, manufacturing policy. To him, the trade war isn't just about getting more favorable terms from the Chinese on buying some stuff. It's about preventing their companies from stealing American technology and using it against us economically and who knows, I think ultimately militarily. I had the privilege to be a judge on the president's old show, The Apprentice. 
Google it, millennials. And I think that's a useful prism. Navarro and Lighthouser, they're on one team, okay? Mnuchin and Cudlow are on the other one. And when, you, and when push comes to shove, in the boardroom, of which I've been, I think Navarro's team wins. However, the stock market is very much wants a deal. And the calculus changes when stocks get hammered. The president cares about the stock market. He uses it kind of as the equivalent of his Nielsen ratings. So when stocks crater over a series of days, he tends to move closer to the Cudlow Mnuchin camp that's more willing to make a deal. The show must go on! Now, the media keeps falling for the leaks from the pro-deal camp. They tell us not to worry. We'll come to some kind of arrangement, soybeans, whatever. But as we saw today, that's not necessarily the case. Maybe Trump figures that no deal is better than a bad deal because the Chinese believe they can wait Trump out. Feels like a bit of a standoff on a day like today. Normally, you'd be able to buy the stocks that came down harder on a day like today, but we know that these groups, technology, aerospace, the industrials, all have the most to lose from no trade deal. Sure, their earnings tended to be very strong, but the future looms darker than the past if we can't work something out with China pretty quickly. you got to stipulate that. Now, could we still get a deal? I think the White House will hold out for real change in China because the no-deal camp views this as a geopolitical issue. They believe that if the Chinese government doesn't change its ways, they'll eventually rival the U.S., United States, our country, as a hegemonic superpower. These are higher stakes than Boeing's share price or the amount of soybeans we sell to them. The second reason why today's sell-off had some gravitas? Earnings. Holy cow, out of nowhere. Earnings. Now, we've had some pretty darn good earnings this season, but some days they just don't come together, and today was one of those days. Ever since Facebook's redemption and Snap's miraculous comeback, the social media stocks have been red hot. Today, though, Twitter muddied the waters. They reported a terrific quarter. Mind you, it was good. But they gave a forecast that was widely perceived as quite negative, predicting slowing revenues and rising expenses. I think that's an unfair characterization. I think the company's still cleaning up some things. I didn't mind the quarter. I didn't mind the forecast, but the stock plummeted nearly 10%. Wait three days, then buy. Not long ago, Starbucks delivered a knockout quarter. Today, we got a knockout of a different kind from Dunkin' Donuts. It was the kind that leaves you flat on the canvas. It was a big miss, and quite frankly, I was surprised. We've had some excellent results from apparel. Hey, uh, Capri Holdings yesterday. Come on, the old Michael Kors. Beautiful. Uh, Columbia. Tomorrow, Columbia Sportswear. They just put a great number now. But we heard from Tapestry, the old coach, today, this morning. And the numbers were actually quite shockingly disappointing, uh, even by their own admission, by the way. And the numbers from that Kate Spade division, they were downright awful. Now, we've seen some decent quarters in the consumer package goods base of late. Oh, boy, but Kellogg really laid a bomb this morning. Hey, Celestial, disappointed again. What else is new? Deliveries all the rage. Yum Brands. Hey, we reported a decent quarter today. Hey, the stock was down four, uh, three when I was interviewing Greg Creator. I said, just go buy the darn thing. But Grubhub, the big online delivery platform, well, I don't know. They just made a good deal with, uh, with Yum. But the competition delivery business is getting furious. And today, Grubhub gave you a forecast that simply wasn't up to snuff. And the stock plummeted. At one point, it fell 18 points, although its conference call managed to rally the stock to where it closed down just $1.68. But you know what? I think it's going to be shaky ground. Cybersecurity has been red hot, but not FireEye, which shocked investors and me with its weaker outlook. Stock went down 12%. Real reason for today's weakness, though, the pathetic state, third, the third best reason, because I heard it was being 
First best all day, and that's wrong. European weakness. Uh, it, it keeps getting cut, the forecast there. Right? And we got another uh, cut today. Now, to tell you the truth, we might have been able to shrug this off, but weakness in Europe causes crude to tumble. And you know how I feel about oil. The price of crude often leads this market by the nose, even as most companies actually benefit from cheaper crude. When oil dropped more than a dollar in the morning, you knew the bulls were in for a beatdown. Given that oil's at the top of the range, we might get another bushwhack tomorrow if oil gets closer to $50 to finish it. $52.61, down uh, a buck 40. Put it all, put it on your screen. Put the price of oil on your screen. You're going to figure out exactly what will happen later in the day. Fourth reason is sentiment. A survey of newsletter writers showed the most bulls in ages. That's bad news because too many bulls means there's no one left to buy. The proprietary standard Poor's oscillator I follow was dramatically overbought again. Anything north of plus five demonstrates too much enthusiasm. We were at almost eight when we came in. Look, there were some positives, too. We got a gigantic bank merger, SunTrust and BB&T. Very, very bullish. Even if it didn't seem to generate much pin action, Chipotle reported a home run of a quarter. Estee Lauder had a good second day after a great quarter. Masco, the maker of kitchen and bath equipment, reported some sweet numbers in an otherwise sour group. But the bottom line, we have to own that it was a bad day for the bulls. And it's pretty realistic to expect maybe one or two, I don't know, a couple more sessions like this one until the facts get more positive. So until we either get lower prices or a brighter outlook, I think you should hold off putting any new money to work until we get to safer levels. Let's go to Vinny in my home state of New Jersey. Vinny! How you doing, Jim? Thanks Uh, for taking my call. Of course, Vinny. What's up? Well, my question pertains to AMD and the ongoing work of Dr. Lisa Sue, who you've talked a lot about. Yes. Um, Specifically, well, they've been in business like 45 years, but very uh, recently uh, they're being often referred to uh, as being in competition with Intel. And, you know, AMD's sales are a fraction of, of Intel's. So I, I have a couple of questions. Yeah, sure. It's a little confusing. Okay. Is, is AMD, do you think, a real competitor to Intel today? And do you think they'll be so in the future? Okay, well, it depends on the product line. I think AMD is competitive, particularly when it comes to personal computers. It's starting to get more competitive when it comes to data center. Uh, the stock, they just priced 34 million shares. Uh, wow, 34.9 at 23.65 the other day. And it's through that price. I think that's actually an opportunity. Intel's a fine company, but Lisa Sue has really put AMD on a growth path. Ronald, also in New Jersey, Ronald. Kramer, what's going on? I don't know. How about you? Uh, nothing much. Just laying in bed waiting for you to call. And all you right. did. Thank you. No, no problem. Can't tell you how much I appreciate all your advice you give. Thank you're you. like the ultimate, the ultimate gift that keeps on giving. Oh, Ron, you're like a good man to say that. I don't know. I mean, I came in hot today and I got cool as the market went down. But thank you. Thank you. Okay, look, I'm, I'm a member of your club, by the way. So I get all your action alerts. Excellent. I, thank I, you. And I saw that I see that you're accumulating a position in Cisco Systems. Absolutely, and I know you you talk about it once in a while, and you know they're coming out with their earnings on Wednesday, and I just wanted to get your feel of of whether you sh- we should hold it through the earnings or sell it before. If you ask me which stock to buy, oh geez, I'm looking at Mattel up two bucks. If you ask me which stock to buy. Uh, if it goes down, if we have another uh, sell-off tomorrow, I am going to say Cisco, because you know I'm trying to make that my biggest position because you're a subscriber to ActionAlertsPlus.com. That's the one. I feel great about it. I think Chuck's doing a terrific job. Buy some more, and if it gets to 43, buy more. How about Frank in Alabama? Frank! Hey, a big Alabama booyah to you, Jim. Love Alabama. How can I help? all the Americans that watch your show. Thank you. You're welcome. 
My question is about PG&E. Yeah. I know they're in bankruptcy court right now, and they've hired a terrific lawyer to help them out. And uh, I was wondering about their stock. I know that back dice in October, roll, sir. Was- Frank, it's a dice roll. I was talking to Ben Steiner the other day, and we just said we ought to do a piece. Just people rolling the dice in that one. That's not our style. I do like American Electric Power. By the way, the Cisco 45 would really be ideal. All right, sure, today was a bad day. I mean, what can I tell you? I mean, we have some bad days periodically. Don't get too negative. Uh, it's realistic to expect that maybe we get a couple more like this. Man, buddy, tonight, it's a company that's buying more than 150 brands, including things that you might know like Tinder, Vimeo, Dictionary.com. And if just reported earnings after the close, I'm sitting down with the CEO fresh off the report. Then Chipotle's flying after earnings up. It's up 11% today. Can you imagine how doing this bad day? Can it stay hot? I'll see what's cooking when I break down the port. And it's a company that's put a wrinkle in Allergan's Botox plans. Don't miss my exclusive with Evelis. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. On a hideous day for the averages, what managed to buck the trend? Well, last night, Match Group, the online dating colossus behind Tinder, Match.com, OkCupid, reported a blowout quarter, and its stock caught fire. That strength spread to Match's parent company, IAC, which I like to call the most ubiquitous company that most people have never heard of. Think of IAC as a house of digital brands put together by the legendary Barry Diller. They own Ask.com, Dash, Vimeo, The Daily Beast, just to name a handful of their properties. More importantly, IAC has a controlling interest in two publicly traded subsidiaries, the aforementioned Match Group on Fire and Angie Home Services, which was created when they combined Angie's List with Home Advisor. Now, tonight we heard from both Angie Home Services, which posted an OK number, a big buyback, and IAC itself, which gave us a solid quarter, a nice top line beat with higher than expected earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which is the key metric here. But I think the real story, frankly, is that IAC stock remains absurdly cheap on what we call an SOTP or some of the parts basis, even as it's more than doubles as I recommended in June of 2017. The company owns 81% of Batch Group and 84% of Angie Home Services. However, these positions are worth $19.7 billion, yet the market values IAC at roughly $18 billion. That's lunacy. The whole should not be worth less than the sum of the parts, particularly when there's a lot besides those two companies. Don't take it from me, though. Earlier today, we sat down with Joey Levin. He's the CEO of IAC. Learn more about the quarter and his house of brands. Take a look. 
Okay, Joey, you know, I know you watch the show. We cannot figure it out. It's a great conundrum. How come this company isn't valued substantially higher, given the sum of the parts? It's your first time on the show. Just run through all these incredible values and how you get them with IAC. Sure. We have two public companies underneath IAC, so we own public shares in Match Group, which is worth, I don't know, today they're up a bit. Match what a, a nice terrible day. It was one of the few that I followed was up. It was a good day. Uh, and that's worth roughly, I don't know, $12 billion or something like that. We have shares in Angie Home Services, another public company. We also own uh, 85% of that. That's worth another 6 or $7 billion. And then we have cash on our balance sheet. We, we have uh, just at the, the parent company, IC, we have a billion seven of cash. And when you add all that up, it usually adds up to something more than our current market cap. And it's not just alone. There's dividends that you've given. There's also sure. companies and that we have lots out. of companies beyond that. Right. We have Vimeo, which is a private company that's all subsumed in, in IAC. We have uh, Dot Dash, which is a publishing business, which is doing very well. We have a uh, mobile applications business that's growing phenomenally well. I think it grew up something like 100 percent in the last quarter. Profitable. It's pretty amazing. I went to about Vimeo for a second. Yeah. It's a platform. And yep. therefore, it's completely undervalued within this company. Could Vimeo one day be spun out like a match or an Angie's? I hope so. I, I mean, look, we don't, there's no timeline on those right. things, but, but I hope so. That's the goal in all of these businesses. That's what we tell the leadership. That's what we, we, we try and organize for is you want to be big enough, strong enough, sturdy enough in a big enough market that it makes sense to, to stand on its own. I, I've known quite a few people have come through your company uh, and, and some executives, some leadership people, and they've always felt that it was the classic way incubators were supposed to be, that you, you got money to do what was great. If you operated really well, then there's lots of rewards. I mean, it seems to me like the ultimate meritocratic capitalist institution. It really is. It's focused on, it has nothing to do with, with where you come from, even what your experience is, what your age is. I've been a beneficiary of that, as have others. It's about what you're excited about, what you're passionate about, and if you are, you get, you get the opportunity, and you learn on the job. Well, can some of that be the, just the ethos of, Bar- of Barry Diller? I mean, that, he's For always sure. been someone who wants to champion people who do well. Yeah, he wants to give people a chance, and he, he, he has always been motivated by big opportunities and finding people's passions. And when you find that, you invest behind it. Um, when I was doing some research from the company, I was staggered to see how much better you have done over the last three years than Fang. And it just seems odd because we all, we all think of Fang as just this tremendous juggernaut. But IAC is just quietly, I mean, it's doubled since we profiled. Yeah, they, look. Fang is a tremendous juggernaut, and those are some phenomenal businesses in there. I mean, truly phenomenal businesses in there. But we judge ourselves on ourselves, and and we got to grow our businesses. And we've been fortunate to have each of our businesses really in the last year in a way we've never seen before, each of our businesses individually growing, and each of them still single-digit penetrated in huge markets. Take Angie Home Services. It's a $400 billion market, and we have single-digit penetration in there and a lead a pretty substantial lead relative to the next. Now, how much cyclicality does that company have? Because I know that there's, you, you always blow away the estimates for match. I, I, I am concerned that Angie's in a real housing downturn maybe gets hurt, or is it really counter-cyclical? Uh, we have a, a decent belief that it's, it can be counter-cyclical. So when you think about when um, 
housing goes down, people move less, they stay in their homes longer. That means they're doing more work on their homes, number one. But number two, what that also means is that the service professionals are more interested in getting business from our platform because they're not inundated with business that's coming in everywhere. So there is some counter-cyclicality in that, but also two-thirds of our business is, is non-discretionary. So when you're locked out of your house, you're not waiting for the economy to turn to get back in. If your garage door isn't, op isn't opening, you're not waiting for the economy. Now, uh, there are a couple of companies that are buried in that I want to ask you about. I happen to care passionately about financial literacy. You own Investopedia. Sure. The millennials want and are desperate for financial literacy. Can you blow that company out somehow? We're definitely trying, and we definitely share that passion. It is amazing how few people are prepared for retirement. It is, yeah. it is amazing how little people understand the, the importance of compounding capital and starting that early in your career. Right. And, and that's one of our goals at Investopedia, for sure, among many. Okay, now, I, I don't want to steal anyone's fire, but we, we had the CEO of Match on, but I think Match is an amazing company. Me too. I think there's ahead of Valentine's Day, it's obviously good. I would talk about another side of it. But it's an amazing percentage, algorithmic percentage of people who end up meet each other marry. but it also seems to be for people who are lonely that aren't looking for anything other than people to be some spend some time with look meeting new people is a really hard thing for any right. purpose meeting new people is a really hard thing that first interaction with anybody is awkward and one of the things that digital platforms can do is they can break down those barriers because you both you don't know whether whether a person standing next to you is interested in meeting new people and if you want to cross that barrier that could be a, a awkward thing but when you're on a platform where everybody on the platform said I'm interested in meeting new people that certainly makes it a lot easier to interact okay so also uh, we are huge believers in the subscription economy which is why we first profiled you Us too. it's sticky right and also yeah. it you do tier I mean it's really one of the most uh, uh, continuing generation of income of any company I know. Yeah, look, we've been in love with the subscription model yeah. for a very long time. Before everybody else. <laughs> I don't know. But, well, but and we, the more I think about it, there aren't many that knew about it. Yeah, look, the, the great thing about a subscription model, and especially in times like these with things that people are talking about, is the value exchange to a consumer is crystal clear. When you start talking about data and free models and advertising, the value exchange starts to get a little bit cloudy yes. for, for consumers. Our value is crystal clear. You pay X, you get Y. Right. One, last, one last question, Joe. I mean, should we just say it's always going to have a discount just because it's difficult to value? Or is it one day we're going to have a magic wand and we're going to see the stock up 30 points and that you got to get in ahead of it? Well, look, I'd love to have that magic wand. But I think any multi-business business, there are reasons that, that investors give them a discount. They think they'll never get access to the cash flow. Right. We have a history of, of repurchasing shares. We yeah. have a history of... Um, uh, paying dividends, things like that. So we generally, I think, should get credit for that. People say, well, if we do get access to the companies directly, we're going to have to pay taxes. We've done a number of spinoffs. We dis we've distributed shares tax-free. Most of the things we do, we, we, we try and avoid those conglomerate discount things, and we really try and act like an, an anti-conglomerate. So well, I hope so. You've done a remarkable job, and thank you for just living up to everything. We, we got behind you, and I said, we just got to get in on this, and I feel terrific about it, and it's going higher. Okay, I want to thank you to Joey Levin, who is the CEO of IAC, a company we have long liked, and I hope you now can understand it's very transparent. You can look at everything. Learn the division so you know what you're getting into. Mad Money's back after the break. Chipotle's back, and it's back right on time. Yep, the company reported fantastic numbers last night, including a colossal 6.1% increase in same-store sales, coupled with healthy margins and 
even including those persnickety labor costs that have bedeviled the fast food industry over the past few months, I'd say under control. It's been a long road back for Chipotle, which was rocked by not one, but two health scares. The first began in late 2015, uh, and then we got another foodborne illness back in uh, summer of 2017. Both incidents crushed the same-store sales, and the stock was obliterated. Remember, same-store sales determine where stocks go. In February of last year, Chipotle traded as low as $250. Now the stock's back to $585. It's been a tour de force comeback, yet in many ways, this move was totally predictable. You see, the American people tend to be very forgiving, or at least forgetful, when it comes to health scares, as long as you give them enough time. And usually that's 18 months. In 2015, a wave of E. coli hit Chipotle stores in Oregon and Washington, and the chain had to close a large number of locations while it got a handle on the issue. Management thought the problem had been, resol- had been solved. But then in December of 2015, they had an outbreak of norovirus in Boston that caused a second wave of discontent. Finally, in July of 2017, when it seemed like Chipotle had put these health problems in the rearview mirror, there was another norovirus incident, this time in Virginia, because of lax employees' sick rules. Right around the same time, we saw a cell phone video of rodents falling from the ceiling of a Dallas Chipotle. Not exactly good PR. Once again, the stock went into freefall. So a year ago, Chipotle decides that's it. Let's bring in an outsider to clean things up, hiring Brian Nickel from Taco Bell as their new CEO, replacing Steve Ells, who'd stepped down the previous November. There was some real cosmic irony here, as Chipotle had always made it clear they didn't even really see Taco Bell as a competitor. Even speaking of them in the same sentence would have been viewed as borderline insulting. Yet this change at the top turned out to be a brilliant move. Time gradually healed all wounds. What's incredible to me is that when I research the other major health scares that have laid waste to restaurant stocks, the infamous jack-in-the-box E. coli incident in 1993, where 171 people were hospitalized and four people died, and the Taco Bell E. coli incident in 2006, where 53 people got very sick, there was a clear pattern. In both cases, it took 18 months for traffic to bottom and then start rebounding. 18 months. Sure enough, it's now been a little over 18 months since the last incident at Chipotle, and the stock is on fire because sentiment has turned. That said, I do not want to detract from Brian Nichols' leadership. The man is a whiz. He's attacked negligent safety practices. He's fixed slow throughput. He's addressing drive-through. He's starting a loyalty program. He's got labor costs under control like no other chain I follow, though burgeoning sales, of course, make that a lot easier. Chipotle's gross margins actually increased by a staggering 210 basis points this quarter. And the 6.1% same-store sales growth, sometimes the makeup matters. It's the customers that are flocking back because only 2% of that growth came from higher transaction prices. Compare that to McDonald's. You know, I, I like that stock. Very well run. But nevertheless, it had a meager 2.3% same-store sales gain in the U.S., and its gross margins actually declined by 190 basis points. Chipotle's giving you a remarkable turnaround here. I'm a big believer in Nichols' strategies. Hey, by the way, he moved to headquarters all the way out to California. The big think redo of the chain is a place for dazzling innovation and his tactics, which are all about good execution. He deserves plenty of praise for this run. But Father Time gets some credit, too. The customers forgot about the health scares. Now they're back, and they seem to love Chipotle, as I do, more than ever. The difference? I never went away from it. Jason in Tennessee. Jason! Booyah, Jim, from Tennessee. Booyah. So uh, I've been following Restaurant Brands International. They bought Popeyes one year ago. Yes, they did. Yeah, they... It's been on a downtrend in the last five days, but but they outperformed the market in January, and I was wondering what you thought about the long-term growth potential of the stock. I think it's a great question. I think people feel they've got to do a deal. 
I'm telling you, Jason, people are even rumor things like that they're going to buy Domino's. That's why Domino's was up in a bad market. I don't think that's the case. Here's my thinking. It's just a good, solid, long-term investment because it's very well run. I'd love them to come on air. They probably won't, but I'm going to reinvite them right now. I need to go to Jerry in California. Jerry. Hey, Jim. Hey, yeah. Jim. The yeah. family loves the food at Del Taco. And I'm wondering if they're finally on the right track. Their last presentation looks pretty good, as most of them do. They're stressing quality, always adding new products, and now they're rolling out deliveries in the first quarter. With 26 consecutive quarters of increased same-store sales, they're looking to successful franchisees to buy some of the company-owned stores. Isn't that a good thing? Jerry, I thought so, too. And you know I like this stock, and I got very burned by it. I need to have them come on. I mean, I feel completely scalded. I thought, same thing, good food, good management, didn't work out. Not going there. Up 6% this year, maybe enough. Hey, we're sticking with California. We're going to George in California. George! Hi, Jim. As a conservative investor, is there anything in Hershey which would make me want to buy this stock at its present price? You know, frankly, I'd rather buy Mondelez. I kicked this back and forth with my friend Sarah Eyes in the morning. Mondelez had a really good quarter. Hershey did not. I would rather go with Mondelez because, you know, it is a snacking society. It's a candy society. And I think that Mondelez has got the mojo right now. That's the one you want to be in, not Hershey. Okay, listen up. Chipotle's back and Chipotle's bigger than ever. Uh, now, there's much more mad money. It's a company that's giving Allergan frown lines. But could it leave you with a smooth smile? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Evelus. Then, does your portfolio have what it takes despite the market's unknowns? Let me be the judge when we play MI Diversified and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. All I am doing is being your pupil. I appreciate that. It's not something I'd ever thought I'd hear you say. I'm his pupil. Yes. You've done well, Caterpillar. Grasshopper, not Caterpillar. Yes! It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. last few years, you've heard endless stories about how Allergan, AGN, the big pharma company that unfortunately is a lot smaller than it used to be, at least by market capitalization, is soon to come under fire as other companies roll out new competition for its number one product, Botox. Well, last week, those predictions came true when Evelis, a tiny, relatively unknown company, got FDA approval for Juveau, uh, which they describe as a drop-in replacement. We're going to learn more about that for a second for Botox, meaning doctors can easily swap out one anti-wrinkle drug for the other. Now, ever since the FDA rendered its judgment on Friday, Evelis' stock has been flying from $16 last Thursday to nearly $29 today. I'm wary of chasing anything that's had such a monster move, but this one definitely merits closer inspection. So let's check in with David Motizetti. He is the president and CEO of Evelis, who used to run Allergan's U.S. Medical Aesthetics Division. Learn more about his company and how it's doing with this new drug. Mr. Motizetti, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Great. All right. How are you? Good to see you. All right. This is exciting times for your company. Uh, we know that Botox is a gigantic drug, but we also know Allergan is a gigantic company. What makes you think that you'll be able to go head-to-head with them, given how many companies have tried, but even the, the two that are out there right now have never been able to take more than 30% of the market? 
Well, Jim, you're right. It's a very exciting time in the aesthetic space. Probably no better time to be a customer than today in this market. Uh, as you know, last Friday, we received FDA approval for our drug right. named Javo. We're entering one of the fastest growing spaces in healthcare, which is medical aesthetics. And Javo is the first product to get approved in this category in nearly a decade. Yeah, but but Allergan spends a billion dollars to promote Botox, yeah. and they've got it kind of like Kleenex. And uh, uh, Xeomin and Dysport have done huge price discounts, and they still haven't been able to take that much share from Botox. How do you go up against a jug- juggernaut? That's right. Well, look, this product and the company was designed from the outset to compete against the market leader. Okay. And I'll tell you why. First, we conducted the trials with Javot head-to-head versus Botox. Matter of fact, we conducted the largest head-to-head studies, which were phase three studies in Europe and Canada, comparing Javot directly to Botox okay. Cosmetic over five months. We'll release those results in the second quarter of this year before we launch. The second thing is, we're a different type of aesthetic company. We're the first neurotoxin to enter that's aesthetic only. That means we have, we're free from all government restrictions and government reimbursement. And that, we believe, as we commercialize so it's all private product, we know that. It's all private. But now, are you going to have a label that's, that makes a comparison against Botox when this comes out? Yeah, so in the FDA's eyes, any differentiation in the label is difficult to do. Right. However, being able to promote data that shows head-to-head results is exactly what we've heard from doctors differentiates us versus those other products you mentioned that entered the U.S. market. We believe that a combination of that data as well as our focus on differentiating the brand. Mm-hmm. This product was built from the ground up around a new target segment, which is the millennial population. We've branded the company, the product, all the messaging around how millennial thinks and considers getting into this market for treatment. And we believe that that is what ultimately will differentiate well, is this market. a derivative of an older, you've know, done some research in this Korean drug that is not uh, brand new, built from the ground up? Because we had Revance on. That's built from the ground up. Is yours built from the ground up, or is it... Uh, actually a license from a, a Korean company. That's right. So this product is actually manufactured out of a brand new facility with our partner, Daewoong. And that facility was built specifically for Javot. And we okay. manufacture this technology called uh, the Hyper technology, which is an entirely new manufacturing process for a neurotoxin. That science in combination with our clinical data is what doctors are very excited about in the market. Now, you do have a 55% shareholder uh, at- Alfion, uh, and uh, that's a gentleman, Mr. Grant. I, I'm just trying to figure out. Uh, I saw. I wanted to figure out whether that he could be able to sell. Because the reason I say that is because the stock's had a big move, and I know that a lot of our viewers would say, "Wow, this is so exciting!" Because Botox, you come in 25% cheaper, but then they'll buy the stock, and it turns out you'll do a big equity offering, and they'll say, "Oh my God, Jim, why didn't you ask him about that?" <laughs> no, it's a fair question. And last February, we did our IPO, and okay. our largest shareholder is Alfion. Yeah. And over the course of the last year, they've thoughtfully wound down their ownership to what is today about 56% okay. of the company. Like any other large shareholder, as the company transitions from R&D to a commercial stage, which just occurred, right. you'd expect that they'll thoughtfully continue to wind down their ownership. That being said, you know, they've been very invested in the success of this company mm-hmm. and very supportive of our strategy moving okay, forward. One last question. I, I know that millennials are interested. Um, are you going to do a big social media campaign? Because that's what I think is, could, could get it from the ground up. Yes. So we've built an entirely new platform that powers this company. If you were to walk around our hallways, as an example, we went to the Bay Area and to companies like Microsoft and Google and hired tech talent with no healthcare experience to create an entirely new digital platform that powers our company. That in combination with all the branding we believe in the digital space will 
launch a new product that targets that young segment. In the end, this aesthetic market is being fueled by the millennial growth. I agree. And so clearly there's an opportunity for no, us. No, I think there's room for everybody here. But I, you right. know, I would encourage you to be able to come in and make it so that, look, if it's, it's very expensive for private pay. So if anything that makes it come down will make the millennials very interested. Okay, that's David Motizetti, is president and CEO of Evelis. Okay, now the stock has just almost doubled, so be careful. Man Money's back after the break. It is time! Start with the light milk. What's that about? That's where four, one, and team is started. Bye, bye, bye. Just be no And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skid, daddy. It's time for the lightning round. Let's we'll start with Sam in Maryland. Sam. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. And thanks for helping small investors like me. Okie doke. I was calling about Texas, I mean, Therapeutics MD. And the CEO was in your show some time ago. And what's your take on this talk? It's done nothing. And I, I went home and I told my wife all about it, you know, because it does that kind of women's health. And she said, you know, look, I, no one's using it. And I went back. I kept talking about it. And it ain't working. It ain't working. I'm going to have to say, don't buy. I just have to put it like that. Let's go to Scott in California. Scott. Hey, Mr. Jim, Ski Daddy Kramer, happy pre-birthday celebration to Whoa, you, my friend. Oh, man, coming up. I don't want no surprises, Lisa. Okay, <laughs> what's up? Sounds so, so good, buddy. I'd just like to say, man, I hope you keep going with that money for many, many, many more years to come. I hope all so, too. You. As long as I do it, I, I do it on Saturdays there. and Sundays. No one sees it. I do, <laughs> I do it from my house. You think I don't do I it? Come it, out buddy. and do it. I say, hey, I'm Kramer. My wife says, yeah, okay, you're Kramer. Go ahead, what's up? Uh, yeah, so I have a, a position in, in box there. With, a couple days ago, uh, Golden Golden did, Sack. Did, I like out, that uh, upgrade. Aaron, Aaron, I wanted to call Aaron. Aaron, leave it. that was a good upgrade. I agree with it. I still think the company should be acquired, but Aaron's too young to want to sell. How about Joe in Washington? Joe. Yes, thank you, uh, Mr. Kramer. Good e- uh, afternoon, I should say. I have a very quick two-part question on Cummins, CMI. Okay. Stock symbol. Um, first part of the question is, how dependent is coming on China, either as a supplier right. or an actual market? Right. And how does its partnership with Hyundai, um, how does that kind of uh, line up with um, in its earth-moving equipment, all-electric earth-moving equipment, compared with other entries in the same field? Okay, well, look, it's regarded as a China play. Is that right that it's regarded as a China play? Well, I've got a lot of business in China, but it really is. There was an upgrade and a downgrade today. I read through them. I actually thought the quarter was fine. It's got a 3% yield. I'm not worried about that joint partnership. It doesn't mean that much to me. I think when you buy that stock with a 3% yield and you buy it a little bit lower after, you're going to do well, but don't look at it tomorrow or the next day because it won't do well until we get a China deal, even though it should be doing well. Let's go. That's the way it works. Sorry. Let's go to Brian in Texas. Brian! Jim, it always blows my mind when I get to talk to you. Fantastic. Uh, Why not? What do you think of Verizon's last report? And I should be buying some Amazon tomorrow. Clean, good, solid, good yield. Verizon, terrific stock. Let's go to Mark in my daughter's home state of Oregon. Mark. Mr. Kramer. We're thinking about adding Morgan Stanley to our portfolio. And you're what right. Your the thoughts? people in Oregon, my daughter always says, got horse sense. I want you to bye, buy bye, a James bye, Corman at one of the best quarters that everybody hated. That's true. It was not miss. It was not clean. It was not perfect. And that's where the opportunity comes. 
I say Morgan Stanley's great. I say Oregon's great. And I like Dutch Brothers coffee when I'm out there. Let's go to Loy in Illinois. Loy. Big boy out here, Jim. Oh, yeah. I've show for years. I love to take it for all the great advice. Thank you. Nice people. So my question to you is Canopy Growth, ticker CG. Okay, I had a uh, going back and forth on Twitter at Jim Cramer, back and forth and back and forth. I feel this last move from 45 to 50 needs time to digest. I'm walking away for now. If it goes to 60, it's going to do without me. I don't mind. I've been behind it a long time, and I don't want to get anybody hurt. Can I go to Steven in Georgia? Steven. Yes, sir. My hat's off to you, Jim. Thank you. The principal financial group was uh, recently... Was that quarter recently wasn't so good, man. Neutral to sell. That doesn't seem right to me. I Did agree I with you. Four and a half percent yield, eight times earnings. I mean, give me a break. Just, you know, you're going to be fine in principle. I know people don't like the yield curve. That's what they think it hurt by. I think it's a fine, steady-as-she-goes company. And all of us who remember it in 2007 and 9 and tried to write it off were wrong. I remember we went to University of Iowa, and people were saying it's going to go to zero. I said, ixnay, not going to zero, nay. Joseph in New Jersey. Joseph. Oh, booyah, Jim. Uh, my question is about Johnson & Johnson. Uh, do you think that um, the asbestos litigation will have an impact on earnings in 2019? No! And Alex Gorski is doing a terrific job, and I think that, look, I, my heart goes out to anybody who has ovarian cancer, but my take is, is that they did not cause these problems, and that you should buy it, and the Esketamine launch is going to be the biggest launch of 2019, and that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I'm opening up the lines to hear from you, the voices of Craig America, because it's an uncertain time. I want to talk to you. Mr. Kramer, I just want to tell you, you are absolutely, positively fantastic. Thanks for helping us not panic in times like this. The average investor, which we all know and love, you cater to us, and we appreciate that for all you teach us. I am not going anywhere. You shouldn't either. We will get through this together. Kramer has your back. Call 1-800-743-CNBC and let's take on the market together. We're going to figure this out. We'll puzzle it over and we'll make it so that we're all smarter. We've had a nice run recently, but today was kind of a tough pullback. Don't get too bearish, but this one did test the strength of your portfolio, did it? Keeping a diversified portfolio is the only way to stay defensive in the midst of a day like today. And that is why we play Am I Diversified, and we haven't played it lately. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings, and I tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough, maybe you need to mix it up a little. First up, we have a tweet from Chris, and he writes, at Jim Cramer, at Mad Money, on CNBC, I am a 25-year-old investor, and top five holdings are public service enterprise, uh, 3M, CVS, Cisco, Pfizer, hashtag MI Diversified. Boy, I like this. This is a person who likes yield conservative and growth. Look at this. PCSG. Okay, I write them a check every month. Nice utility. 3M. I think it's starting to perk up a little. It's got a great balance sheet coming back. CBS, huge position for ActionAlertsPlus.com. Club members know I think that it's going to only do well after Mr. Merlot traces out how it's going to do when he co- in an upcoming meeting. Pfizer he was yielding 3.2% last week. Came right back because it had a quarter that was better than expected. Cisco is Chuck Robbins. He will be on Squawk Box tomorrow at Pebble Beach. He's doing a remarkable job. Great balance sheet. Great yield. I've got tech, I've got utility, I've got industrial, um, I've got drugstore, and it's also got Aetna, and I have uh, 
uh, pharmaceutical. That is a great portfolio. That is a great portfolio. I need to go to Mark on Twitter. Mark. And Mark's got, let's take a look at this. Um, he's got, C- oh, he's, oh, this is one that he said CNBC or Mad Money. And he's got Amazon, Boeing, United Health, Intuitive Surgical, Salesforce, hashtag Am I Diversified? There we go. Okay, now let's do some digesting of this one. Oh, a lot of action alerts names. It's like tic-tac-toe. We've got three of them right here. Okay, Salesforce, we know that, of course, CRM. That does a, it, it digitizes your company. Boeing, fantastic. Goes down every time we hear negatives on China. United Health Group, it is the largest health insurer in the country. Intuitive Surgical, which is a remarkable machine, the Da Vinci machine, that it makes it so almost every hospital does really well, and so does the patient. And then Amazon, do I really need to mention Amazon? Okay, so we're going to call this a conglomerate. Now, that's really what it is. We're going to use aerospace for that. Um, digitized healthcare and more healthcare, but this is more insurance. I'm going to bless that. Although some people would say these two trade together, I disagree. Amazon's a force of its own. Kevin in California. Kevin. Hey, oh, Jimmy. Big, big, big booyah in San Diego. Nice. I got five stocks for you, buddy. I got okay, Apple. let's go to work. We got Anheuser Busch, B U D. We got Ballcorp, B L L. CVS Health Corp, and we have one, uh, Xylem XYL, that's the water company. We have some big water issues here in San Diego with the Tijuana River. Wow. I'll tell you that. You know, no, not enough people. Xylem is Latin, what, for the uh, plant that takes up water? I forget my Latin. Okay, here we go. Uh, but Cliff Mason remembers his Latin better than anybody. Okay, he's head writer. Uh, second head writer, third head writer, and also uh, all of our writer. Okay, so Apple, yeah, I mean, these are things you don't really even have to tell anymore. They are technology. Let's call it technology. And Bev, uh, that's Bud. Uh, it's doing just okay. I'm not sure I want it, but it's got it's doing an IPO of a division. Ball Corp is really basically a duopoly when it comes to, to uh, bottles, uh, cans, to cans, I'm sorry. Xylem, the water issue that he mentioned. And CVS, the drugstore slash health insurer. Tech, drugstore slash health insurer, beverage, uh, can and water. Again, these people don't need any help at all. They're completely diversified. Stay with Kramer. Look, it's a tough spot. We've been up a great deal. But the fact is, I don't think this is going to be anything really deep. I know a lot of people are already calling for a retest. Listen, we had earnings that weren't so hot. We had some not great news on when trade talks are going to take place. But it is not the type of thing where I'm telling you to get out now. But I am saying, hey, listen, the club raised a little cash. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.